In 2004, United Kingdom sent a cute guy with a guitar. He only collected 29 points for his country, but still made a big impression on many fans of Eurovision. So big that several of you have contacted me suggesting to invite him to this podcast, and I'm happy to do so. He has worked with music since the age of 15, competed in the BBC production Fame Academy and sung for armed forces in several countries, and is right now working on new music. This is Eurovision Legends. I am Emil Lovström. Let's go! intro i'll uh very happy with that thank you <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wish i could take that introduction everywhere i went how's life uh it's it's okay i mean it's it's as good as it can be given the current circumstances you know uh i've just been very busy during this time that we're all facing uh just recording in my studio and trying to keep uh keep my spirits up and let music you know sort of uh come to my salvation as it were during this time I understand. I thought we could begin with some quickies to get warmed up. Let's do it. Best song for United Kingdom in Eurovision. Ooh, save all your kisses for me. Worst song for United Kingdom in Eurovision. Oof, worst song. That would have to be, I think, Daz Samson. Bonnie Tyler or Engelbert Humperdinck? Oh, Bonnie Tyler. Who do you want to see represent your country in 2021? 2021, um, I'd like to do it again. <laughs> Great answer. If you could compete in Eurovision next year for another country, which one would you pick? Oh, let me think. Uh, do you know what? I'm going to say Cyprus because I've spent so many happy times over there. Uh, yes, that'd be nice. And the weather's nice there. Best song ever from Eurovision. Oof, best song ever. Uh, congratulations, Cliff Richard. Well, that wasn't too hard, was it? That wasn't too bad. Good memory there. <laughs> Are you a fan of Bonnie Tyler? Yes. I, well, I mean, growing up in Wales, you, you can't sort of uh, be anything but, you know, it's been a while, I guess, since I listened to her on a regular basis. But, you know, growing up, we definitely had a lot of Bonnie Tyler on the radio and uh, in my family, yes. I love Bonnie Tyler. Yeah, what, what a voice. It's a very unique, incredible voice. Yeah. Uh, I know for sure that you are not related to Samantha Fox, but please <laughs> tell me how you came up with your stage name. That's very good. Well, to be honest, it was when I, I, I did, you touched upon it in the intro there. I did a show on the BBC uh, called Fame Academy back in 2003. My real name is Mullet, uh, which with my current hairstyle is quite ironic. Uh, my real name is Mullet. So I entered the competition that was won by a British guy called David Snedden the year before. Uh, and it was the BBC that said to me, look, if we had a Snedden win it last year, 
if you have a mullet to win it this year, it, it just means you've got a really <laughs> bad name to win this competition. <laughs> so I said, well, that's my name. I can't do anything about that, you know. And a guy walking past uh, was part of the production team, part of, I think he worked for Polydor Records at the time. His name was Mark Fox. Yeah. He'll, he'll thank me for that. And he said, oh, just take my name, Mark. Just take Fox. There we go. And little did I know that in that moment, I would be, you know, once you've represented a country and had all that TV exposure, there's no chance of uh, changing your name after that. You know, it's uh, I was stuck with it from then. So it wasn't my choice, but, uh, you know, I was happy to take it. <laughs> and for those who wonder, mullet is the hairstyle in which the hair is short at the front and side, <laughs> but long at the back. That's right. Business at the front, party at the back. Every day. So there we go. In Sweden, we call it a hockeyfrilla. Oh, really? <laughs> much, much cooler, much cooler than mullet. There we go. I might change my name to that. There you go. You'll have, you'll have to write it down for me, though. I've got, I've got no chance. Yeah. <laughs> we could do a retake of the introduction. Welcome there you go. Television legend James Hockeyfrilla. It's. I'm already more interested. There you go. Look at that. I mean, as an audience member, not me. <laughs> exactly. What is your first memory of the Eurovision Song Contest? Well, do you know what? My my dad, when he was with us, was a big fan of Cliff Richard and the Shadows uh, and a big fan of music in general in the 60s. People like Lulu, the Beatles, obviously. Um, so I have just very early memories of being sat, maybe I was like six, seven or something like that, watching the TV. And I guess at that time, watching the Eurovision Song Contest, I, wasn't, I was never forced to watch it. I was literally, there was something about this, about music. You know, obviously I was very interested in music, but this contest in particular, all these different sort of nationalities and different songs and big artists at the time, you know, I think maybe the Bucks Fizz sort of memory uh, was my first one in terms of watching it. Was that 82 or 83? Uh, 81. Oh, it was way off. 81. There we go. Maybe then watching i was 76 i was born so wow, that is an early memory if i remember that or the, the sort of years after that but i think it was my dad being a fan of cliff richard and the shadows and things like that i was always aware of eurovision growing up as a musician did you dream early on that you would participate yourself there one day do you know what i weirdly did it wasn't wasn't so much a dream but i had we used to holiday in a place called blackpool which is a big uh, seaside resort in the north uh, northwest of england and they have these sort of big concert halls on the piers uh, in Blackpool. And many sort of big acts, sort of Eurovision acts uh, at the time used to play on these piers. And I remember thinking, one day I'll do that. And I, I was always aware of Eurovision. I wasn't, if I said I, I always thought I'd do it or dreamt of doing it, maybe that would be a lie. But I, I had this feeling that it would play a, some sort of part in my future. Yes, it was always on the radar. Very interesting. And in 2004, you took part in a national pre-selection at BBC TV Studios in London. Mm -hmm. uh, it was hosted by Terry Wogan and Gabby Roslin. Mm. Was this the first time you tried to reach Eurovision? It was. I, and I didn't realize I met a lot of people in the past that it seems like a yearly event that they try and get into Eurovision. And I got very lucky. Obviously, I did the BBC show the year before. So the BBC were aware of me, uh, which was great. And I had a lot of exposure on TV here the year before. So I kind of had a head start on a lot of people. But um, I hadn't written a song or played for it before. It was uh, first time. Very lucky. How many songs were presented to you? 
Ooh, that's a good question. I th- my manager at the time, I think we sat down with about four or five songs, I can remember. A lot of them were sort of more upbeat tracks, uh, dance tracks maybe, which, you know, were great, but didn't suit my sort of style of performance. And there was this one that really stuck out. Now that I found that someone I believe in And I feel so complete by your side Maybe not in terms of a contest, maybe looking back, it, you know, it didn't have the high energy that potentially a song like that, a song would need to capture people's imagination in that time. But uh, it was my favorite song of the bunch. It was a lovely song. And the song Hold On To Our Love was written by Gary Miller and Tim Woodcock. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that name is not taken. <laughs> was Hold On To Our Love the only song that was presented for you, w- written by them? Uh, yes, I, I actually wrote with them af- uh, after the contest because we, we got on very well. Uh, we tried writing a few songs. Did you have any favorite among your competitors in the national pre-selection? Oh, wow. Let me think. Um, do you know what? A friend of mine at the time, I haven't spoken to him for a long time, was a guy called Andy Scott Lee. And I believe his brother was in the one of the bands called High Rise. Uh, Wasn't his I, sister in Steps? Yes, Lisa Scott Lee. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was uh, quite a musical family. Uh, his brother was in a band, boy band called High Rise. And they had a good song. And I thought a boy band, you know... It was, it was like four or five against one, really. It was like, you know, cheating. Uh, so I thought, you know, these guys are probably going to win. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like I like those guys. But you won by a big margin and became United Kingdom's representative in Istanbul. That's right. I think somebody told me it was, it was I'm not sure, maybe they say these things, but it was the biggest margin uh, for a selection show winner, which at the time, which, um, you know, if it was or it wasn't, it doesn't really matter. I was just so, I just couldn't believe that people, you know, had voted for me again. I thought they'd have enough of voting for me the, the previous year, you know, in the last contest. So it was, uh, yeah, it was very nice. Can you take us back to Turkey and your days in the host city? <laughs> I'm sure you've I'm sure you've been to many Eurovision Song Contests. Uh, if I told you I remember a lot of it, I would be lying. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it feels like maybe you're only there for four or five days, and every country is hosting a party. Every country wants you know. There's a like a press conference or as an interview. It's to be honest, it was pretty much 24/7 of interviews. But it was just a lot of fun. It was possibly the best, the most fun experience of my life. That's why I, say, I always say I would do it again in a heartbeat. You know. Do you remember if you thought it was well organized? I think it was like I've done a lot of work for the military over the years, uh, for maybe 20 years, and it was almost military organization. It was uh, with, with that many people, that many viewers, that many, you know, the song to song to song and all the big changes of sets. How they can make that happen on the night is, I have 
no idea. You know how it, how it could look so slick. I know there's been a few a few uh, disasters and slip ups <laughs> over the years, but um, yeah, I cannot believe the machine around it and how it works and you know how every artist is ferried around in different cars and hotels and yeah, I, I wouldn't want to organize that. That's for sure. The choreographer Hans Marklund, who staged the Swedish entry this year. told me that many rehearsals were painful to watch and that many things were removed at the last minute. Oh, <laughs> okay, right. For, for example, at the final when the two hosts should go out on stage and present the competition, the female host was going to be invisible. And this sounds like the worst idea I've ever heard when a host <laughs> is invisible on stage. <laughs> that Yeah, I've, I've heard better ideas. I've got to be honest. That's the one thing they don't need to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> the only thing they need to be is visible. That's it. <laughs> Do you remember if you had any favorites among their competitors? There was a male-female duo. Uh, I can't remember the name. Uh, I think it was the Maltese entry. That's, that's Julia right. Ludwig. There you go. They were lovely. On again, off again, like the rhythm of rain. We need to decide, find an end to this game. Such wonderful times, many natural highs. Love is a flame that we can never tame. On again, off again, off again, on again. We meet so many. Uh, they were lovely. And also, I think a guy's name was Dean from Bosnia. Have I got that right? Yes. He was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, he has been on this show. Oh, there you go. Brilliant, brilliant. Music, what I want. Music, what I need. Kiss me and let me flow up and down. Here we go. Music, what I want. Music, what I need. Kiss me and let me flow up and down. Here we go. Ukraine won, Serbia, Montenegro finished second, and Greece came third. And you only get at 29 points and finished 16th. Why, you think? Well, after the year before, when we when we got <laughs> we had nothing, that was that, that was that was a great result. <laughs> to be honest, I will answer that. But I mean, the result to me, of course, it matters. But it it was just uh, as long as I didn't let anyone down was my key. You know, as long as I went on after the year before and they had problems with the sound, etc. I just wanted to just deliver the song and not have anything go wrong. So just, I was, it was success just to get to the end of that three minutes, you know, without any mistakes. But, um, you know, I think I was surprised it had as many votes as it did because maybe it's such a high energy contest or it can be a big power ballad often wins through with the big sort of drama of it all. And obviously the high tempo stuff, uh, definitely comes across well in that couple of three minutes, but maybe sometimes in the middle there, a mid tempo, you know, sort of country ballad, which is kind of what I had, might get lost. So maybe maybe the blonde highlights and the blue suits, you know, helped a little <laughs> bit. I don't know, because uh, <laughs> maybe the song wasn't ideal for you. The chorus was catchy, but um, I wasn't surprised that it didn't win, you know. Many people complained that the voting had been biased and you were one of them, I heard. All right. I mean... I don't think I would complain. I mean, there is an element, obviously, of, you know, uh, neighboring countries uh, voting, but that's that's always been the case. And I guess we always give island points and vice versa. I just think that comes with the uh, 
the territory of of it really uh i certainly wouldn't have been angry about any any voting or anything no as long as i did my job on the night the rest is uh up to the audience you know but your song climbed to our 13th place in the charts in the united kingdom and mm. became a great hit Yeah, that was a very, that was great. That was very surprising for me. You know, that um, I just felt like the country, you know, I had a lot of support. And uh, with that support comes a lot of pressure on the night. No matter how much you want to have fun, enjoy yourself, you are representing your country and there's a lot of pressure. But uh, yeah, I definitely felt the support. And obviously that reflected in the chart position. Since Katrina and the Waves' victory mm. in 1997, the United Kingdom has only gathered three top five places. And that's not much to brag about. Why, do you think? Because <laughs> the Swedish entry is always so good. I don't know. <laughs> But we write your song. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than you and me. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than us. There you go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there's something going wrong. I remember, do you know what? It was a Swedish... A lady singer with two girl backing singers, I believe. And she was very, she, I think she she'd sang for Eurovision before. You have to remind me of her name, the, the Swedish entry that year. They were great too. In your year? Yes, it was, uh, I think. Lena Philipsson. Yeah, she's, was she not, hasn't she done quite a few things? Or have I got that wrong? She, no, uh, she only had participated in Eurovision once, but she has been in the Swedish pre-selection several times. Right, right, right. They were great too. I forgot about them. <laughs> so, um, I definitely, yeah, they were very, you know, there's a lot of countries involved. Why, you know, why, why should we think we should win it? Why do you think, you know, it's, uh, I guess, do uh, other countries get asked the same question? I, I don't know. Maybe because we've got such rich musical heritage here. Um, yeah, yeah. That's pro probably why. But uh, it's a contest for me. It's, uh You know, I think we've sent some good songs. I think we've sent some, you know, very mediocre and maybe some bad ones too. But I, I guess that's the same with a lot of countries. But uh, we haven't cracked the formula yet. It's not just about music. It's um, there's a lot of forces at play, I think. And a lot of it might be uh, just timing and luck. But um, I think I think we'll, uh, dare I say, it, we might win it again. You never know. It's 16 years since you participated in Eurovision. Does it feel distant? The, some memories do. Uh, watching it back, I think it was uh, when I watched my uh, Eurovision back. I think the following year, everything, maybe the year or year after, everything went like high definition TV and digital. I think in 2004, it still looked like uh, you know the old VHS, like grainy sort of tape. So I watched mine back. It's like watching one from the 60s. <laughs> uh, so that that dates it for me because it's got a slight grain to it, but it does feel like a long time ago but every year i don't think a year goes past i don't either get asked about it or interviewed about it or on a tv show about it so you're always involved with eurovision and obviously always watch it so you you feel like part of a eurovision family really but my particular night feels like a lifetime ago <laughs> <laughs> you told us before that you don't have the same haircut anymore and or all right. the highlights but do That's you right. have the stage clothes 
Do you know what? I auctioned off uh, the the suit. It was a blue, uh, light, light blue, I think. What was it? I'm trying to think of the... It was an Italian, <laughs> an Italian designer blue suit. I auctioned it off for charity. Uh, and uh, I did have the shoes, but I think... I wonder why they've gone. Uh, but I've still got the guitar. I'm actually looking at the guitar right now. I'll never part with that. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the... Yeah, that's so great. That, yeah. Four years after Eurovision, you recorded Cardiff City's FC's official song for their 2008 FA Cup final. I did, yes. I've always been a football fan since my dad used to take me to the Cardiff Cardiff Games band. So when we reached, we hadn't reached the FA Cup final, which is a big football cup competition here. We hadn't reached that final since 1927. So you think Britain is having a hard time in Eurovision. You think, uh, <laughs> try being a Cardiff City fan since 1927. It's... Uh, <laughs> So and and there's a sort of history in the 80s and 90s. Uh, there was a, a, a song, uh, a cup song. You know, if your team got to the cup final, you'd write a song, especially if it was an unfashionable team. You know, not yeah. the big teams that keep getting it. So obviously, when my team got to the semi final, I thought, well, if anyone's going to write a song, yeah, I have to do it. You know, if I can combine my passion for football and Cardiff City with music, you know, I have to be the one that does this. So I wrote this song when we were in maybe the quarterfinal of the cup. I, I just thought if we win the semifinal and get to the final, the day after the semifinal, everyone is going to be at that football club giving their song, you know. So I, I made sure that nine o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning after we won the semifinal, I was there. It was already done, produced, you know, a CD was delivered to the club. So uh, I'm not sure if it would have been the best one, but it was certainly the first one. I was not going to let anyone else do it. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and it uh, peaked at uh, number 15 on the UK single charts. Right. Incredible support. Again, you know, to think we only sold that to, to Cardiff City fans, really. You know, I, I'm not sure many people outside, maybe a few, but... Um, me and my friend, a uh, Norwegian friend of mine, who's a producer, we literally set up a record company. We did the entire production. He produced it. And then we, we'd even supply the local record stores back in the day. Oh. Um, we'd even take, we'd, <laughs> I'd go around the back of the record store with a box full of CDs at 7.30 in the morning, fill up the shelves. Then people would queue up for a signing of myself and all the football players. So I would literally be driving the van with the CDs and then I'd go around the back, change into my, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever I was wearing. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was everything. We were the record company, delivery van drivers, and uh, we did everything ourselves. So to get another top 20 hit, because no record company would touch it, because they said it would never it would never work. So it was a very satisfying. Great. <laughs> I read that you have performed live for British troops on active service in Afghanistan, Boston, Herzegovina, the Falkland Islands, and Iraq. How did this come about? Yes, well, I've been doing that since back in 2000, so about, uh, what is that, 20, wow, 20 years. Um, do you remember a band, they still, they, still, uh, they still operate, but two of the guys of that, the band called Liberty X, do you remember Yes, yes, things? yes, absolutely. Right, well, they, I was their guitarist, we had the same management, this was prior to Eurovision, and they were doing, they were asked to do a New Year's Eve gig in Bosnia, and uh, it was a New Year's Eve gig, so obviously the big the big sort of uh, lead up is to, to midnight, you know, uh, and I think they started this set. The, the guys were getting very restless, you know, the in the audience and they started this set early. But then that meant they finished early. 
so about 11.30, they'd run, <laughs> they'd run out of songs. So they, nobody knew what to do. They played the hit again, you know, uh, and it's at 10, maybe 11.35. And they're looking at me saying, well, do you want to go on and play some songs with your guitar? I said, I'm, I'm, you're crazy. I'm not going out there. There's 2,000, you know, army guys. I'm not going to stand on my own with a guitar. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get booed off. But uh, I went on. I sang a few songs from the Proclaimers, you know, some uh, like songs like that. And uh, they loved it. And we saw the new year in and it was a success. And the person that booked the military gigs was there in the audience. So after that, they said, look, thank you so much for saving, saving the night, as it were. Well, you know, would you like to do this again? And then, wow, that's 20 years then of everywhere. Like I, I must have been to Afghanistan over 10 times, uh, Iraq, like you said, everywhere that the uh, the military, our guys and girls are, uh, I was willing to go. It's been, a, it's been a great thing to do and also afforded me be able to play twice at the Royal Albert Hall in front of the Queen uh, and the Royal Family for the Festival of Remembrance, which is uh, the yearly festival they have here for the military. So, um, yeah, it's a very, I'm very proud of what I've done for the, for the military and for what they do for us. You know? And then we have Broadway. Yeah, <laughs> quite diverse. <laughs> to be honest, I got Eurovision to thank for all that, really. I took maybe, I was 27 when I did Eurovision. I think for the next 10 years after that, I was pretty much in musical theatre, thanks to Eurovision, because having such a big TV audience, obviously a lot of producers see you on, you know, on Eurovision. And uh, a guy called Bill Kenwright saw me and I was offered Jesus Christ Superstar here first in the UK. And then as a result of that, I got to know Tim Rice really well. And, and he sent a fax out to the producers in Broadway on the Monday. I was there by the Wednesday auditioning and by the Friday I'd got the job. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, incredible. And I spent three years on Broadway and the, and the West and the, well, the West End as well with that show and the US tour. So it was a very, uh, so I could thank Eurovision for that, really, because that platform that you get in front of that many people. I wonder, have you done more tries to reach Eurovision? Uh, <laughs> do you want the truth? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. To be honest, it was a yearly, a yearly event for a while, I think. And then my email started bouncing back. So uh, I did. I remember in 2008 and nine, myself and uh, my Norwegian friend uh, that did the Cardiff song, we wrote a song. And I still think it's—I still think it's the winning song for Eurovision. I will put my neck out and say if we get, even if I don't sing it, you know, if I could get it somewhere or if somebody could do it, I have a song. We, we think it ticks all the boxes. But uh, we did pitch it to the BBC. Uh, they didn't agree. I think we did like two or three years. We pitched it, but that was a long time ago. So maybe we should revisit that song and do a more modern production and see how we get on. So yeah, you never know. I could be back with it. Yeah, please do. I'd love to. Or I, I want to hear it. Oh, yeah, exactly. If we don't, yeah, but if, if anyone hears it, apparently it can't be it can't be used in the contest. Is that right? That's why I've yes, been told. Yes. yes. <laughs> so I keep telling everyone I got this song, but I can't I can't prove it to anyone. So they. <laughs> but can't you send it to the Norwegian final then? Do you know what? I'm pretty sure he did that. I'm pretty sure they were interested. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I think they said they would take it. But I was so confident that I could do it again that I, I refused it. <laughs> so that, that was a big, big mistake looking back. Never mind. But you haven't written any song for Eurovision that you later released yourself. Uh, that's a good question. No, no complete song was ever, ever uh, ready for Eurovision, apart from the one I have. Because why, why write another one when I have the perfect one? Just no one else agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> We changed dates for this recording, first because I was unable and the week after because you would go to the studio and record. And please tell me about your new music. Yeah, thank you for asking me. It's um, 
it's basically obviously with not being able to do any uh, live gigs over the last six six or seven months I released a song back in February anyway called Nightfall which was A-listed on uh, BBC Radio in, in the UK on Radio Wales Take me back to when I was only ten Take me to a better place Let me start again Write it out in pen Memories I can erase Let me walk away to another side I don't wanna stay I don't wanna fight Take me back So I don't lose it all For the nightfall So with the success of that I thought oh, maybe maybe I'll write some more songs and release an EP uh, but as the months and months of lockdown here went on it went from being a six, a five-track EP to a six-track to a, to then I thought, well, I might as well try and record an album. So I've written, uh, well, I've written lots of songs, but I've got eleven songs that I'm happy with. Nightfall was the first one back in February, and now a new song is called Fire and Coal. Maybe there's a fire burning brighter than the sun. For victory parades of battles we've never won, but I. Then the album will be out uh, in January, but uh, Fire and Call was just released, so I'm pretty, uh, pretty excited about that. Uh, let's listen to it. so much james for your time no my pleasure you know you know thank you thank you very much it's uh yes thanks thanks for asking me on and uh, and the the cute guy with the guitar intro i'm gonna take that sound clip and put it put it before every uh, every radio <laughs> that, that plays the uh, that plays the song <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to you dear listeners out there in the world i'm so proud and thankful that you are listening writing to me and sharing my episodes on your social media you can contact me with suggestions questions opinions or whatever you feel like by emailing me at email at or through eurovision legends on facebook and instagram and don't forget to subscribe so you're always updated with new episodes thank you thank you Sam. hopefully the interview is okay for you i appreciate it and uh yeah we'll chat again soon Okay, take, take care. care. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Now that I found that someone I believe in And I feel so complete by your side It's the only time I've ever loved somebody, baby In my life We gotta hold on to our love tonight We gotta hold on to our